0: Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Deputy Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we'll be talking about Terminator Dark Fate, as well as the Terminator franchise. So the way this episode is going to go is we'll talk a little bit about Terminator Dark Fate. It'll be spoiler-free, because according to the box office, not that many people saw it this weekend. (laughs) Uh, Then we'll talk a little bit about the Terminator franchise, and then we'll return to Dark Fate, but it will be spoilers So you can still listen to most of this episode. Then we'll talk, we'll do Recently Watched. Uh, We have a new reader hot take, which is really more of a question, but that's totally fine. Uh, And that'll be the show. So kicking things off, Terminator Dark Fate opened this past weekend. It is the sixth Terminator film. Uh, It is, let's see, in the past decade, I'm trying to remember when Terminator Salvation came out, what, in 2010, I believe? 2009, Um, 2010? Gosh, uh, 2009. yeah, 2009. Yeah. 2009. So we've had three Terminator films in the last 10 years. Um, and so Dark Fate is the latest one to sort of just be like, screw it. Let's scrap. Like the ones that are wholly writ are T1 and T2. And that makes sense. Those are the classics. Um, and then it's kind of a struggle to figure like, well, where do we go from here? What, what, what does this series look like? And Terminator Dark Fate goes the legacy sequel route, where it's basically like, let's give you the formula of the thing that you liked, but redo it to hand it off to a new generation. And, you know, I. it seems like at least from, from people I follow on Twitter, people have received it pretty positively. I was kind of, for most of the film, I was like, this is fine. And then as it wore on, I was like, this is bad. And then and I'm like, now it's over.
1: <laughs> my my reaction was, um, uh, this is fine. Ooh, this is actually really good. I'm really into this. Uh, this is a little long. This is bad. And then I'd watch another. Yeah. So, it's- it was a bit of a roller coaster in terms of my reaction. <laughs>
0: I mean, so I think you know, the, the basic plot of, of the film is that uh, it, the story starts in Mexico City. Uh, it follows um, a young woman named Danielle who is now being hunted by a new Terminator and then a protector from the future uh, named Grace, played by Mackenzie Davis, comes to protect her. But also Sarah Connor also comes to protect Danielle because she knows where the Terminators are going to be. And so they team up to protect Danielle from, from the Terminator played by Gabriel Luna. And that's the movie. I don't want to really spoil anything. Again, we'll get to the spoilers later, but it is that very familiar T2 thing of like, there's a young person who needs protecting and Sarah Connor and a future person who has enhanced abilities will protect and like there's a there's a, there's some changes, some minor changes, but it it really is very familiar in a way that feels like it like like someone who understood the plot beats of Terminator Two but didn't understand why that movie works. and I think the big thing missing from Dark Fate is I just don't think it has much heart to it um I I think when you look back at T2, it's actually a very big hearted film. You know, you can, you, we can say like hasta la vista baby and you know, the thumb and the fire and whatever, but really it's, you have multiple things going on in that film. You have an estranged relationship between John Connor and his mother. You have John Connor looking for a father figure and he finds it in the Terminator and like the, it's sort of wrapped up in like, yeah, there was the T1000 hunting them the whole time but that's not the, that's the plot of the film. The soul of the film are these relationships and the humanity of it. And that humanity sort of conveys why humanity is worth saving. And you don't really get that in dark fate. Dark fate does not really have time for pathos. It has time for exploding planes.
1: That's what it has <laughs> yeah. time for. Yeah. The, the thing I really like about T2 is it's really a boy and his dog story kind of, um, cause the, what is it? The T 1000. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's not super duper smart or sentient, and John is teaching him how to be human. No, no, the
0: T1000 is the bad guy. T1000 is the one. You're talking about the T101. Fucking nerd. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing amazing that I have a wife. I don't even know how that happened,
1: but go on. But yeah, it's the kind of like through John teaching the T eight hundred how to be human, you see why humanity is worth saving. Um, And I agree; I don't think Dark Fate has that much humanity to it because it is. I think the problem is that it's a it's a blockbuster created in twenty nineteen, and when T two came out, I mean, it was coming off the heels of like the eighties actioners, and you know, a lot of those action movies are kind of bad. And kind of low on emotion and story, but we hadn't yet gotten to the point where, like, anything was possible in terms of computer visual effects, um, which T2 birthed. Um, That was the first CG character, I believe, in a feature film was the. um, the Yeah, I mean, uh,
0: if you don't count like the sort of the puddle thing from the abyss. Yes, it is. It is a fully it is a CG character.
1: Yeah, and I know it was the uh it was Spielberg seeing the tests from T2 that convinced him to do the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park at CG instead of stop motion which he was originally going to do. Um and then so you get to Dark Fate and it's like well anything is possible and the way blockbusters go nowadays is you need an action set piece every 20 minutes and so it does it it feels a little I mean I like Dark Fate most when it was Sarah and Grace and Danny just sitting around talking or like um you know the standoffish uh, relationship between Grace and Sarah and them kind of discussing the protection of this girl and why she's important and and how that works and who understands her better. Um, that stuff I found most fascinating. When it devolved into action, I was a little less engaged. And it does start pretty in, like, aside from the prologue, which itself is very violent, and we'll get to that in the spoiler section, but um, It kind of kicks into high gear very quickly and doesn't let go. And some of those action sequences are really cool. I do think that the very first fight between um, the new Terminator, the Rev-9, and uh, Grace uh, is, you know, it starts in a factory, it ends on a highway. I think that whole sequence is really cool and really fun. But I really only need like two of those in this movie. And yeah, this movie- that's
0: the thing. It, the, I think that that first fight scene, that first set piece is really good. It really establishes the stakes. It does a good job of introducing, of throwing us into this world and what matters. And then the film just keeps piling on set pieces. And I get, you know, that the... the the rev nine is supposed to be relentless, but we get that. We know what a fucking Terminator movie is by this point. Yeah. It's the sixth one. We don't need <laughs> to be like, now he's in a detention center. Now he's on a plane. Now he's in a hydroelectric dam. Like it's, it's too much. It's too much. And it really drains the urgency from the story because ultimately you basically like, as you know, the, the rev nine can kill and does kill Plenty of unnamed characters, <laughs> but at the but ultimately, like your the stakes are very low because we're like, well, these characters are are going to make it at least to the end of the narrative. So we're just really killing time here is What we're doing, yeah. Uh the set the set piece doesn't have as much weight as it needs to, and and so you have a film where really the time should be be bet would be better spent on the character relationships and what they're dealing with and their trauma and sort of watching that develop. And instead the film just assumes like, well, if you like this kind of relationship and this kind of action scene, you'll like Terminator dark fate. It's very, it is surprisingly soulless uh, in how it's constructed. Um, Not, you know, and again, it's not the worst shit ever, but it is like, it's not a
1: Michael Bay movie.
0: It's not a Michael Bay film, but it's also like it once again raises the question of how much we really needed another fucking Terminator film.
1: I don't think we needed one, but if we're going to get one, I like the direction this takes the franchise. Um, I think this I, I, th-
0: I think it's the best direction, but it also feels like too little, too late.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, but it's wiping away the other two. So, if you just want to like be like, yeah, those were kind of Uh, uh, pointless and and bad direction. Let's go this way. My main problem with it, though, is that like I I think Mackenzie Davis is instantly captivating as Grace, and I think she gives a really terrific performance in this movie. Um, It makes you really empathetic towards her, and without even getting into exposition, you instantly kind of care about her, um, just given the way that she uh, emotes and acts and her actions. My biggest problem is that by the end of the film, I'm still not really rooting for Danny because I don't really know who Danny is. And is it just me or does her character feel like way underdeveloped?
0: Oh, her character is completely underdeveloped because again, what Terminator Dark Fate really cares about is the formula, but it doesn't really provide any shading. I could not tell you 3 things about Dan- about Danny. Couldn't yeah. do it. Like if you gun to my head, tell me 3 things about this character. Uh one, she's supposed to be the, f- you know, this and bam, I'm dead. Like that's yeah. a, like, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, if there's really nothing there and like, at least with grace, you kind of be like, okay, she's a survivor. She, she feels loyalty. She, she, you know, she was willing to, to, to make this kind of a one-way trip. By the way, was it just me? I felt the fact that like grace needs constant, like medicine to function was kind of a drag on the story. Like it kind of was this weird thing. Like, Oh, she needs health packs to continue to play. (laughs) And I'm like, we don't really, we don't really need this. This doesn't really, this doesn't pay off in any way.
1: Uh, I kind of liked it because it didn't it, – it separates her from the T-800 because she's not this kind of relentless killing machine. Sure. She's going to constantly go toe-to-toe. Yeah. It, to me, for me, it raised the stakes because it was like, oh, shit, if she doesn't have her meds, she really can't defend Danny. So I yeah. hope that it felt, felt I don't sure. know.
0: It felt a little contrived because I felt like the benefit that Grace brings to the story is that Grace is human. Um, She's enhanced and she's augmented, but she is ultimately human. So you have a different she's not a terminator. Yeah. And I think that that brings a, a different perspective to it. Rather than like also please make sure I have all my medication.
1: Well, but I I think that goes hand in hand because it makes her More like vulnerable. she is exha- Yeah, she's super vulnerable. Uh-huh. She's exhausted. And it made me like as fearful as I can be in a big blockbuster action sequence of, you know, when she's in those moments, it's like, oh, shit. I think those moments were supposed to be moments where you really saw Danny step up and take the lead and it doesn't do. Yeah, no,
0: instead of just kind of like and now it's, you know, tag team and now it's Sarah's turn to yeah. to kick some ass. And, you know, Danny is just there. Um, it's, it's a weird place to put it in, uh, to, to put that character in that position. Yeah, Um, I feel like we're coming right up to the edge of spoiler town on this. So let's 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 pull back, talk about the Terminator franchise.
1: Well, I will say for those who Um, haven't seen it, spoiler free though, I really loved Linda Linda Hamilton back as Sarah Connor. I thought it was a really good performance. I thought it was a really interesting version of this character. I think
0: yeah, and I think that will you know to tie that into sort of the franchise. What a lot of the franchise has missed post T two is the the understanding that. Sarah Connor is really the heart of it. It's not John Connor and it's not the Terminator. And I think that's why a show like the Sarah Connor Chronicles was a success, you know, limited as it was. I mean, that show was only two seasons, but it had its very strident defenders. Um, and then, you know, you bring Sarah Connor back for dark fate. You really see what she, what Linda Hamilton brings to the table, and what that character brings to the table. Uh, that is sort of the, the soul of the franchise. And I think, that has been missing, you know, starting with T3, you know, with, with Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. I think, so when you go to Rise, so I think we can just agree. Well, first of all, I actually am curious. Which do you like better, Terminator or Terminator 2? Uh,
1: Terminator 2 by a mile.
0: Really? Interesting. All right.
1: I don't love the first Terminator movie. I like
0: the first Terminator for what it is. I think as a gritty kind of, I mean, there is action to it, obviously, but it's really more of a sci-fi thriller um, like, oh, and kind of low budget almost. And it's like, it has, you know, you have the, 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 effect, you know, the Terminator effects are cool, but it really, it's really more about the draw, you know, you have Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor on the run.
1: Um, I'm going to tell you something shocking.
0: Hmm.
1: I saw T2 before I yeah. saw the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> Se- sequel boy <laughs> over here. Can you believe it? Yeah, I can this believe one it. One of the many, many franchises where I saw the sequel before I saw the original, um, Cause I was at blockbuster and I thought that sequels were the better version of things. And so I was like, well, I'll watch this one. And it wasn't until like, I think I had rented T2 like three or four times. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try the other one now. <laughs> Just complete misunderstanding of how movies worked right. when I was, I don't know what, seven years old.
0: Well, it's very cool that your parents let you watch R rated Terminator films. I, mine did not. I had to, I didn't <laughs> see those till I was older into my teens. Um, but uh, I, I liked Uh, I mean, I like them both. I think T I like what Terminator does. I think T two is more fun. It's the more watchable of the two. It's the film I would enjoy just watching just to sit back and enjoy. Um, But then when you get to rise of the machines, I think rise of the machines feels more like a product of what Hollywood wants rather than (laughs) what the story needs. And so what Hollywood wants is it's the year is 2003 Arnold Schwarzenegger is still a pretty big star. Not as big as he was, but not like, you know, co-lead of Escape play, or going to direct to video stuff like he is now. Um, that's, I'm sorry, but if you found killing Gunther in theaters, good for you. None of us, none of the rest <laughs> of us did. Um, but in any event, uh, he's still a big star, and they're like, we need to build a Terminator film around Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger, we're going to pay... I think Schwarzenegger got 25 or 30 million for that film. Like
1: it was something insane. It was some re- And he said he did it for the money basically. <laughs> yeah, I would too. I would
0: definitely do that for 25 to 30 million dollars for one film. That's
1: insane. Yeah, it was 30 million for Schwarzenegger, 5 million for Jonathan Mostow the director. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? It was um, the early 2000s. Y2K didn't actually happen, so it was like, "Hey, internet money." Yeah, pretty
0: much. I mean, yeah, studios were were spending pretty freely back then. Uh, the crash had not happened yet. So uh, you have all this money, and then it's like, so you have Nick Stahl as the adult John Connor. Uh, Sarah Connor is now dead off screen, and he's on the run with Claire Danes, and the plot is just very weak. It's a very weak sort of excuse to put John Connor on the run again, which is that there's this older Terminator that is coming to protect him, and they they're on the run from the T X, played by Christiana Loken, a lady Terminator. It was a lady Terminator. It was a for... big
1: deal at the time that they made a lady Terminator.
0: What if a Terminator but a woman? <laughs> <laughs> so long glass ceiling. So mm. anyway, she doesn't really seem to like her. Like basically, she's like the T one thousand, but she can also hack computers. That's really She's uh-huh. like the T one thousand and one that's, it's not a huge upgrade, <laughs> but whatever. And so she's, she's going to gun. And the plot is, is, that like someone's taking out all of John Connor's lieutenants. <laughs> like yeah. really? And so, and so Claire Danes was like one of his lieutenants and like, you know, she, you know, they, they come, she's going to help him out. And it's just, it's a really boring film. Um, the, best thing it does? First off, its best scene is on the cutting room floor. And when I say best scene, I mean worst scene. It is so wonderfully ill-conceived that I'm amazed that they shot it and finished it. But it's fantastic. Because the scene explains why Terminators look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it's because there was a Colonel Candy. And Colonel Candy is Arnold Schwarzenegger redubbed with a southern accent like a foghorn leghorn accent and he's like i'm colonel candy and he's (laughs) like and he's like i'm gonna tell you about the terminator program and then like they're like uh can we do something about the voice and someone in the room goes yeah and in schwarzenegger's voice yes we can change something about that you know and so it's it's a dumb thing i don't even know if they ever really intended it to be in the film or it was just like a dvd extra but i love it um but what i I think think t3 actually does the thing that i think is best about the film is that it does end the world um which i think the ending is
1: the ending is the best part of the film and i think elevates it uh pretty significantly
0: i do too i think by going there and by saying like this is that we are at the the end um on the one hand I, I do think T2 presents a problem. The ending of T2 is like either you save the world or you don't. if you don't, then T2 is kind of nihilistic, saying, well, you know, you actually fate is is locked in and you, you didn't do anything. You just delayed Judgment Day. Good for you. Um, I think T3 kind of manages to kind of thread the needle by... Say by making it a success, but not a success and actually taking us into the apocalypse. Cause that's sort of the weird twist of John Connor is that John Connor is like, you want to avert judgment day, but for John Connor to realize his destiny, he, the apocalypse has to happen so that he can be the leader of the apocalypse or the yeah. humanity resistance. So that's the ending of T of, of rise of the machines, which is again, a
1: largely forgettable film. Um, But I like that it kind of says that, like, Judgment Day is inevitable. It's going to happen. And because it happens, John does become this great leader.
0: Yes. And then you get to Terminator Salvation, which is just, like, a disaster in Oh,
1: good for you.
0: (laughs) Are you talking about about, how you're doing the Christian Bale thing?
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. So here's the
0: thing about that Christian Bale thing with him in the lights and whatever. And obviously, Christian Bale who has freely admitted he was way out of line. The person who I think looks worse than Christian Bale in all of that is McG, the director, because you have Christian Bale completely. I was the cinematographer. I believe just completely yeah. yelling at the cinematographer. And at no point does McG step in and be like, Hey, Christian, this is not, we not now. Like, let's go to your trailer. We'll talk this out, but let's not do this. And McG just fucking lets it happen.
1: Yeah. And then afterwards McGee was like, "Oh, it was a very intense scene and Christian was in character and blah blah blah." Yeah, I was Mick... like cool. It's still not workplace. It's yeah, it's super baby.
0: unprofessional and it's clear that you were afraid to stand up to your lead actor. But whatever, McGee. Um, <laughs> so, th- yeah, that film is it's a mess in so many ways. Like it, it, the idea is like we're going to pick up in the, in this post-apocalyptic future which we've never done before. And it's going to be set entirely that. But the film was never – it was changed so many times from what it was originally supposed to be. So the original idea was the Sam Worthington character – what is his name? Malcolm or something – I don't
1: know. Something very boring. Marcus.
0: Marcus. Marcus is really the lead character of the film. And then in the original script, at the very end, they go on a submarine – and they, they go to the submarine, and they're deep underwater, and he, he, he's like, we want to introduce you to, to John Connor. And John Connor turns around, and it's Christian Bale, and you're like, oh, holy shit, it's Christian Bale. And they're like, oh, this sets up a, a, a sequel where Christian Bale is John Connor, and that's going to be the film. And the studio's like, well, if we're getting Christian Bale to play John Connor, shouldn't he be the, the lead, the co-lead at the very least of this movie? So you have Jonathan Nolan comes in to basically kind of shoehorn John Connor into a story where he doesn't really have a point in yeah. being in the story. Cause it's still Marcus's story. Uh, even though Marcus isn't a very interesting character, then you get to the ending, which was supposed to be its own thing where, uh, if I recall correctly, they basically, um, put Marcus's brain and Marcus is a Terminator. Spoiler alert. Uh, but he doesn't know he's a Terminator somehow, whatever. Uh, he, he, they put him into John Connor and the, John Connor's body, and then he kills everyone in the room. It's, it's halfway to a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's ha- no, it is. It is halfway to a good idea because I think actually a really interesting idea that, that Terminator Salvation could have done, which is that Marcus becomes John Connor— but it's still Marcus underneath. Like it's basically Marcus's brain in John Connor's body. So you have John Connor in quotations, but really it's Marcus who is trying to accept this destiny that was never meant for him. So yeah. everyone thinks it's John Connor, but he's like, I'm not this guy. This was, I, I haven't been trained to be this warrior. I don't know what's going on. That's a really interesting way to take that story. They didn't do that. Instead, at the end of the film, John Connor needs a heart transplant and Marcus, who is Terminator, but also has a human heart, whatever says, take my heart and go fight robots. John Connor and <laughs> John Connor takes his heart and goes fight robots. It's really fucking bad. Um, it's it's a bad forgettable film, and you can see why it did not spawn a sequel.
1: Well, and isn't Helena Bonham Carter? She's like a Doctor Death or something like that. Yeah, like Helena
0: Bonham Carter is like some evil scientist, and like Bryce Dallas Howard is like older Claire Danes now, and like it. Ugh, it oh
1: know. no, Helena Bonham Carter becomes Skynet.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. That's the thing that happens. Everyone She's becomes- like
1: a doctor and Sam Worthington's on death row and like these flashbacks. And then it turns out that she was a doctor and then her conscience got uploaded into Skynet or something like that.
0: It's dumb. Yeah, it's real it's- fucking dumb.
1: It's a dumb movie.
0: It's a dumb movie. And it's and a missed
1: opportunity because like, we're finally like, all right, here it is. We're going to show you what life is like in the resistance. We're going to show you this future world. How do things go on? Like you're finally moving the story forward in this, you know, and future- you're,
0: you're moving it forward in a way that doesn't rely on Schwarzenegger or Linda Hamilton. Like, yeah. you're like, you're like, we can, it is real. It is a, it is a, it is a sequel. It is a reboot. But it is a way to sort of carry things forward and in a way pay off, you know, like you said, what is John Connor? Can't like, this is what we've been building for, for three movies, John Connor, leader of the resistance. If that's the story you want to tell and it just, it face plants. It's, yeah. It's not memorable. Like the there, I can't think of a single memorable action scene from the whole damn thing. And it's just bland and
1: boring. And I remember CGI Arnold and yes. like the shadows
0: yeah, that was a thing that happened. (laughs) So, so there's that. And that kind of just puts the franchise on ice. We, we should probably mention the rights to Terminator keep ping ponging around between different studios. Um,
1: yeah, the Terminator three, like Cameron was going to maybe possibly do a Terminator three in the late nineties, but he got wrapped up in Titanic. And when they wanted to move on it, that was before Titanic had come out and there were all the rumors of production troubles and going over budget. And eventually he was just like, I've said all I need to say. I don't really need to be involved in another Terminator. And the rights went to wherever. So,
0: right. No, I mean, it's, it's weird. Like, like I think Terminator Salvation is a, and, and rise of the machine are Warner brothers films. And then you get to Genesis and now it's a paramount film. Yeah. Um and again this is just because of like cuz right now the rights are with um Skydance.
1: Well, and Skydance also did Genesis.
0: Uh no, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Skydance yeah. now moves to Genesis,
1: you know, they did Genesis and they did
0: dark Fate cuz yeah. David Ellison owns the Terminator rights which were up for auction. Um and
1: now are about to revert to somebody else to Yeah, I mean originally Anaperna got them. It was Megan Ellison and then she did a 180 and was like never mind, I don't want them and sold them to her brother, David Ellison. Um who does Skydance, Dan- Sky which does the Mission Impossible and Star Trek movies. So Yes.
0: Um, so anyway, so Terminator Salvation kind of craps the bed and the series goes dormant until 2015, 2015 or yep. 16, 2015, 2015, you get Terminator Genesis, which is kind of like a way to, which I don't even, I can't even begin to explain <laughs> what the. Terminator Genesis even There's
1: is no way to explain because it. it's
0: sort of like it's just this weird sort of like inverted time travel film where it's kind of a remake of Terminator to of Terminator where Kyle Reese played by Jai Courtney hashtag Jai bless um, is going to he's Kyle Reese he's going to go back in time and protect Sarah Connor but Sarah Connor is now the T2 Sarah Connor really played by Amelia Clark where she's very capable and knows what she's going. And she's not the, the, the waitress on the run. She's, she's a survivor. She's a fighter because a Terminator went even further back. Like at some point in the making of Terminator Genesis, someone who sort of said, Hey, this is too much time travel. You've gone too much time travel. Stop with all the time travel. Anyway, they, you know, Terminate, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is there to, protect keep protecting her um so she she's the john connor figure but also sarah connor and kyle reese is like i don't know what's going on explain it to me and then they kind of do and then it turns out that genesis is skynet as a video game or some online platform. basically genesis is like hey aren't isn't hey we're all online a lot eh and it turns out it's <laughs> matt smith <laughs> Yeah, for some reason Matt Smith who like killed John Connor who is um god what's his name Jason Clark Jason Clark who is now the new Terminator which by the way no one has really figured out what to do with Terminators since T the T-1000 they're all basically just liquid Terminators at this point yeah that no one has figured out like what if he become like wouldn't it be a cool idea it's like these Terminators can grow to Godzilla size and stop buildings like (laughs) I don't know. Do something. <laughs> he can turn into a race car. Do something. Terminator. Terminators. I, it's, better than a he is, it's better than their liquid metal and they can make spikes. That's all they do. That's all the Terminators do now.
1: Well, I think James Cameron kind of ruined it for everybody because he had too good of an idea for T2. He did. Because that was so smart. And it's just like, how do you possibly defeat this? And then after that, it's like, well, how do you still make them threatening? Like, where do you go from goo yeah. <laughs> <Where> do, <laughs> do that's going to be the
0: title of this episode. Where do you
1: go from goo? <laughs> where do you go from goo. Can you go gas? Maybe I've done the solid solid was in the first Terminator. Yeah. I. Well, Genesis also had that problem where like they got that writer's room together and they like mapped out this trilogy and it became all convoluted. And then once again, they made John Connor a robot. So John Cotter, spoiler alert is a Terminator in that movie. Um, And it was just super boring. I mean, Alan Taylor, this was his directing job after Thor the Dark World, and then he'd retreated back to television after that. Um, But uh, I don't know, like, I think every single person was miscast Amelia Clark, Jai Courtney, uh, even Jason Clark, I think, was miscast. Like, it's a bad cast, it's bad, poorly acted really boring action scenes. And they lean super heavily on Arnold's return. And it was like, do we need Arnold back?
0: That's the thing. Like, yeah, they're sort of like, wow, we just, you can't do a ter- have Terminator without Schwarzenegger. And I, I think you can, yeah. I think you can do it. I think it's possible. But anyway, yeah, they leaned super heavily on that and it's just, it was bad. Um, it was bad all around. And so then that brings us back to dark fate where they're like, okay, let's, let's try it out with Sarah Connor. And I think that's a good direction to go, but I think it's too late. I think it's too late. I think this is the kind of the film they probably should have made after, T- after T2. If you were really yeah. going to do this kind of film, this is the film you should have made.
1: Well, they were. So the original T3, Linda Lynn, Lynn Hamilton was in it, but she died halfway through and Linda Ham- Hamilton was like, I don't have time for that. Like I don't have anything to do in this movie, and I, I'm just just kind of disposable. I just die, and then John goes on. So they killed her. She said she didn't want to come back, and so they killed her off screen. And that's how you know that was born. I do think that this sets it on a path. I mean, it is people have compared it to the Force Awakens, and I think that's a an apt comparison. It sets it on a path forward. Um, I
0: would say it's the and, Force Awakens, but without the memorable new characters.
1: Uh, aside from Grace, yes, who I guess we're delving into spoilers. Well, now.
0: we're going to spoilers now. Um, so Grace dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So your best new character kicks the bucket. Yeah. And here's the okay, so the thing I like best about Terminator Dark Fate is if you were to make a movie in a lab to piss off white nationalists, it would be Terminator Dark Fate, where uh women come together to protect a Mexican nationalist who is the savior of mankind. I love that. I love and that they have to cross the border. And they have difficulty. to cross the border illegally. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, really timely, really, you know, sharp stuff. I wish it was executed better. I really do. Because I think the idea of it is very sound, but the, again, the film has no time for the emotional payoff. So in the prologue, and I just posted an article today, we're recording this on Monday. uh, You'll listen to this episode on Tuesday, maybe. Um, it'll be online on Tuesday. I don't really know what your schedule is. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the prologue is, is that Sarah Connor and young Edward Furlong, John Connor are chilling on a beach, having fun, having a good time. And a Terminator comes out of nowhere and shotguns little John in the chest (laughs) and fucking murders him. And And she's what? And he bleeds out. And he bleeds out, just he's, he's dead now. And that's a huge thing. That's a huge thing to basically take John Connor, this who, who shares the initials Je- of Jesus Christ for a reason. It wasn't an accident that his name is John <laughs> Connor. He's dead now. And what does that mean for the future? And I think that's a really big question for Sarah Connor. What does her life look like now? What is her purpose? What does this mean to lose a child? To not just lose a child, but a child who was supposed to save humanity. And the film kind of farts out an answer. And the answer is, eh, you averted Skynet, but now it's called Legion. <laughs> well, that's not satisfying. That's not <laughs> satisfying at all. I, Sarah Connor wasn't like, oh, man, you can destroy everything, but don't do it under the Skynet brand. Do it under anything else. Okay, it'll be Legion now. That's fine. Like, it's just... It, it, I kind of like it,
1: though. Like, like I it? like it? Oh, yeah, it bums I, me out, man. I like the idea of this inevitability. I don't like the John Connor murder scene, <laughs> but but I also understand, like, if John Connor is hanging over this entire thing, how do you move forward? Like, if John Connor is still the savior of the universe, either she changed the future and he's just, like, a sad dude, which I guess is a, a direction you could have taken it. Like, if your fate was supposed to be the savior of humanity, but then you, like, changed the fate – So that doesn't happen. And so you didn't have to rise to the occasion. What does your life look like now as a 40-something-year-old? I mean, I guess that's one direction to take it. But then you can't really move the franchise forward. So I think in Killing John off, um, you get rid of that problem. But I like the idea that Skynet, under whatever name, is inevitable. Like, humans are going to be idiots. And they're going to create AI that's going to destroy all of us. And so now... You know, uh, Sarah Connor is doing all she can to kill these Terminators to, you know, uh, make sure that uh, things stay OK for as long as they can. And then by the end of the film, you set it on a path for I mean, I think it's pretty clear where the sequels are supposed to go, because this movie doesn't get into Legion at all. So no, 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 the idea with the sequels is supposed to be like
0: Danny and Sarah Connor go on an adventure to stop Legion from yeah. rising,
1: which could be interesting and then could I guess interesting but it's never Grace. going to happen <laughs> no it's not happening now and I assume Grace would come back at some point as you know they would have to go to her now as a, a an adult human who didn't live through this terrible future and be like we need your help for whatever reason I have no idea um, but I assume that she would come back at the end of the second one or sometime in the third one but the again it comes back to the central problem that Danny is just not very interesting. It's so when you have this poor character at the center of it who's supposed to be propelling the story forward, and thank God they didn't kill off Sarah Connor because you know if the sequel did happen, at least you you still have Sarah there.
0: Right. Um, it's just it's very hard to know what these characters want beyond like their survival, which yeah. is fine. But like again, going back to T two, those wants are exist alongside far more relatable wants. Mm-hmm. So yes, in Terminator two, John and Sarah and the Terminator, they all want you know, save the world and that's all well and good, but really, but also Sarah wants to reconnect with John. John wants a father figure. Like these are understandable, emotional arcs that we can really tap into. And, and dark fate doesn't have them. It does. I don't know what, what Danny wants other than like learning to be tougher.
1: I also think the film suffers from Arnold Schwarzenegger's presence. Like, I don't think we needed Carl. I don't think we needed to like, Cause I was really kind of enjoying the film for most of the middle part of it. But then when you bring Arnold Schwarzenegger back, you start her harping on the past. And I didn't find there's a lot of very dead. Interesting. There, there's
0: a lot of dead weight in this film. If you're going to bring Carl into the story, that's a huge thing. Cause basically you're asking Sarah Connor to fight alongside the thing that killed her son. Yeah. And the film doesn't really push to reconcile that. She's just like, it doesn't oh. have time to, it doesn't they have gotta time because you got to get into another fucking action which scene,
1: which also. And so that's what really frustrated me again. Like I was with this movie, I was really into it. And then it's basically like once they get out of the detention center. Um, so my problems are twofold. One, I don't think Gabriel Luna is that intimidating of a Terminator. Uh, oh, like I liked fine, him. I thought he was guess. all right. Did you? Yeah. I thought he was fine uh but two they just keep delaying the inevitable for the sake of having more action sequences so as soon as they know that they have an emp that they can use why why do they have to get to an air force base to get on a plane to fly somewhere to get off the plane like when he attacks them in that warehouse why not just get out and push the emp button
0: yeah it makes no sense to me that's an
1: excellent question isn't it it makes no sense to me why they're getting in a airplane like they're running from him so that they can get, get him into they a can kill get box. to the
0: kill box
1: yeah you can't just, kill him if
0: he's not in the kill box
1: it made that made no sense and so it's prolonging the inevitable so i'm just sitting there like well this is boring like I, why am i watching this and i i mean i guess research or box office or whatever the fuck shows that people like watching things blow up but at a certain point if there's no point to it and you know if things are just going in circles don't audiences get frustrated with that
0: well and counter- or am i, I am mean,
1: alone in this no no i
0: think counterpoint is that this film didn't do that well at the box office which means that people weren't telling their friends oh you got to go see this new terminator it's really yeah. something special because like people like action scenes but they also like memorable characters and like thing like things that they can talk about and like what what are you do? oh it was that plane blew up real good you know yeah All right. <laughs>
1: The, the ladies who starred in it were really fun and they go to, uh, uh they cross the border illegally. Yes. So <laughs> that's something that it's,
0: uh, yeah, it just feels like, like, again, like I think dark fate is compared to the last three Terminator sequels. Yes, it is better, but I would also say it feels like a film that could have been much stronger for, on its own merits rather than just by comparison.
1: Yeah, I know that James Cameron said that he and Tim Miller fought a lot during editing, and I'm curious as to – I mean, so James Cameron compared it to working on Alita Battle Angel, which is a script that he wrote and Robert Rodriguez directed. He said that Robert Rodriguez was like, tell me the movie you want me to make, and I'll make it. Like, tell me everything, and James Cameron had to be like, well, no, you have to make it your movie, um, but I'll help you. And then he said he had the opposite problem on Dark Fate because he said Tim Miller wanted to make the movie that he wanted to make, and James Cameron – uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something like, you know, I know a little bit about this franchise, so you may want to listen to me. So <laughs> I'm curious if Cameron was trying to angle it more towards the past or if he, you know, maybe with was specific beats with characters. I don't know. It sounds like there were there were quite a few struggles in the post-production of this film and in the version that came out. Uh, and so I'd be curious to know what that push and pull was. To me, it just feels like too much action. Just like pull back on the action. Give me three or four more really good scenes because you like there's nothing as memorable and iconic as the scene in T2 where they're sitting outside the rest stop um, or the, the gas station or whatever, and they're just kind of bullshitting.
0: Right. Exactly. The film never takes it never slows down enough to just have a moment with its characters. Yeah. And it desperately needs that, especially for Sarah Connor.
1: The closest Uh, it comes to is is on top of the train, but that's just exposition. Like, I don't think we needed the flashbacks to, or the flash forwards to the future. Um, No. I think that would have been even stronger if you had just had, I mean, trust in Mackenzie Davis to deliver that dialogue in a compelling manner. Just let her tell the story. I didn't really need to see it play out.
0: Yeah, it's, again, I feel like that's sort of one of the things that really irks me, rubs me the wrong way about Dark Fate, is that it's a film that does not trust its audience. It doesn't trust its audience to have an attention span or to invest in these characters. And I think it kind of, when you trust your audience so little, it also says, I don't really trust this franchise that much. Like it's IP and it just renders, it makes the whole thing feel a little soulless. So like while we can sit here and be like, boy, it sure is great to have, you know, Linda Hamilton back as Sarah Connor, there's there's an element of here that just feels where you can just sort of see all the profit driven strings and I'm not like naive. I obviously these, you know, movies exist to make money for the people that, that make them. I get that, but it's all a matter of how well you hide that. And, you know, just because you get, you know, James Cameron to put his stamp of approval on this, I don't think you had a film that was as strong as it could have been.
1: Well, and I, I'm, I'm reminded of the fact that, uh, you know, Terminator Genesis did not do well at all domestically, but it, it did really well internationally, um, to the point that it, I think it was the first American film to earn, I think over four hundred million worldwide without grossing a hundred million in North America, um, which it did not. And so I wonder if some of those decisions were dictated by like, well, we know that there's an international audience for this. We don't know for sure that domestic audiences are going to go for it. So you need to spell everything out for people, and you need to include more action.
0: I mean, there. Which would I- be unfortunate. I mean, it's unfortunate, but now it looks like no one's showing up for this fucking thing. So, there, yeah. there you go. Um, yeah, I think Dark Fate, Dark Fate, might earn its reputation as sort of like, hey, it's a, it's above average Terminator film that no one really talks about. But uh, I don't think it's certainly not the franchise started starter it was aiming to be.
1: No, it may be one of those movies that once it's on cable, people find it and they're like, "Hey, that was actually pretty good." And it's like, "Well, there's no more." Right. (laughs) Pretty much. And and to be honest, like I'm kind of like I would watch more of these. I wish the lead character was more compelling. Um, but I'm not crying over the death of the Terminator franchise.
0: No, it's not It's never been a rich mythology. That's the thing. It's that Terminator is not about world building. Terminator is a very, very cramped conflict. It is. The Terminator comes to kill a person, and that's that's all it is. And it's not about like you have to you know, recover the runes from the sacred site to raise the like there's nothing there. It's just survive past the Terminator and then you know that's the end. It's just yeah. not it's just it's it's great within the confines of a story, but of like a single story, but that's the thing about IP is that, you know, if you're a studio for you every IP means franchising. But really what franchising is, is really more about mythology and not every story can support a mythology. So, you know, yeah, you can call this Terminator Dark Fate, like the Force Awakens of it. But Force Awakens can sit comfortably within that mythology by being like, yes, this is Star Wars, but you know there these are legacy characters that you know but then these are new characters that you'll like and they all exist in this sort of you know greater conflict like there's just much more meat to work with there than a terminator film is going to give you yeah yeah for sure um, all right. Well, with that, let, let's move on to Recently Watched. What have you seen lately? Or what, really, what have you played lately that you want to talk about?
1: Yeah. So my uh, the thing I've been doing the most, and I haven't had a ton of free time lately, so I haven't gotten too far into it, but I did start The Outer Worlds, which is like I play like two video games a year. And uh, our own Dave Trumbore wrote a really glowing review of this one that spurred me to check it out. Uh, It's from Obsidian Entertainment, and it's essentially a Fallout and Borderlands had a baby. It's an action role-playing game um, that uh, basically uh, you are uh, a colonist who was on board a ship that was uh, in light speed travel to go to a colony. And that ship was thought lost forever um, when in actuality it uh, was just kind of like hanging out there in... um, outer space and someone finds the ship and wakes you up and you are now like way in the future and you're embroiled in um these various uh kind of wars and battles and uh mostly like political intrigue of um the galaxy and what's going on and so you go from planet to planet and you you put together a crew for your ship and you're kind of doing odd jobs and also playing the main mission um but what's interesting about the the game is that thematically, like almost everywhere you encounter, like it's very much about like uh, corporate overlords working their employees to the bone, to the point that their employees are disposable, and all for the, the the greater good, and then just like replacing them with whoever is left and treating their workers like shit. And it's not hard to uh, take this as uh, a kind of a treatise on the video game industry itself. I know that a bunch of I'm not super uh, up on the latest video game news and stuff, but I do know that there have been um, a lot of frustrations and and stuff within the uh, video game industry of those who actually work on video games being overworked and underpaid uh, and thought of as disposable by uh, larger corporations. So that adds, to, I mean, the game is very funny uh, and there's a lot of humor to it. And I'm uh, just really having fun with it and i don't play a ton of games like i i was obsessed with skyrim and um play overwatch every now and then so uh this one really kind of scratched that itch for me of kind of a long form uh story game that i can get lost in side quests and stuff and have fun with so uh i'm enjoying that i uh I like that one. I did not watch as many Halloween movies this month or last month as I wanted to. So this is kind of what I'm doing instead.
0: Yeah. My my plans for watching a bunch of like I planned to watch all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and it completely fell flat because I was too busy catching up on the crown because I had to review the crown season three. So it all kind of just went out the window.
1: I was watching Jack Ryan. For your reading pleasure. Right.
0: We do this... Basically, this is us blaming you, the listener, <laughs> yes. for our so much problems. stuff we have
1: to watch for work. I know, right? I had to go out on my Sunday and watch Terminator Dark Fate. How
0: dare you? How dare me? Um, so for me, uh, I, I recently was, did, was went on a trip to London, and so on the Played Ride Home, I had downloaded a couple films to watch, and I decided to finally get around to watching the original Child's Play, because it was one of those... I. I've tried to watch all of the horror franchise starters, the, at least the first film in those series, and Child's Play was a bit of a blind spot. And it always seemed pretty fucking dumb to me. I'm like, oh, so it's just, you know, it's a little doll that's come to life and he's evil because he's inhabited by the, the, the soul of a serial killer, but he's a doll. Like, what the fuck is scary about that? And, but but people I trust were like, no, no, Child's Play is actually a lot of fun. And it's really good. And the series is, is good, actually. So I'm like, all right, I'll give Child's Play a shot. And I really enjoyed Child's Play. I thought it was really fun. The thing I like most about it is it plays it completely straight. Like, you would think, like, if I came to you, it's like, I want to make a horror film. Oh, great. Okay, so there's a doll, right? And the serial killer he puts his soul into the doll and the doll becomes murderous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You would think like that, that would involve some heavy winking towards the camera. And it doesn't like the way the film begins is that Brad Doriff, who is the, I think it's the Chicago strangler is like on the run from a cop played by Chris Arandon. And he gets shot a few times and he's about to die in a toy store. The shootout is in the toy store. And all of a sudden he starts like doing like dark magic. <laughs> To put his soul in the body of a toy so that he doesn't die there. And so then that's like, and the film is just like, yes, sometimes serial killers also know dark magic so that they can evacuate their body to go into the body of a toy if need be. And it just played completely straight. And then, you know, as more and more people in the film realize, oh, this doll is evil and murderous it plays up completely straight. Like everyone's, every time you try to tell someone like, no, the doll is evil. People are like, that's fucking nuts. Don't that's, that's a stupid thing. Why are you saying that? And then the fucking Chucky comes along and he's like, I'm real as fuck. And he tries to <laughs> fucking kill him. And it's, and it's really fun. Like it's a really fun, silly film. Um, as I get older, I realize that these horror films, like as an adult, they're not scary at all. Like, even though I think the director, Tom Holland, uh, does a really good job at building tension, despite like he he's good at using sort of POV shots from Chucky's perspective, and like I think it's he it's very well directed for what it is. But I would say like horror films I think are wasted on adults like me like if like I'm I'm in my mid thirties there was no way Child's Play was ever really gonna like scare me. But if I'd seen Child's Play as a kid and someone showed me a movie, it's like hey, you know that favorite toy of yours. Well, a murderer might take control of it and try to kill you and your parents. Sweet dreams. Like, that would really scare the shit out of me. Just like as I'm sure like Nightmare on Elm Street and like Friday the 13th and like Halloween. Like, all these movies would probably be a lot scarier if I had seen them as a child. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're a parent, show really terrifying movies to your children for maximum (laughs) effectiveness. Because as an adult, they'll just be like, oh, this is well made, but they won't find
1: them scary. Yeah, I don't know. Like, is Scream still scary? Like, I know that that movie scared me as a kid, but like... Is I don't know. I haven't still? seen
0: Scream in forever.
1: I love it. It's one of my favorite horror movies, but, you know, and you look at like... I mean, I guess The Conjuring was scary. I guess, I mean, horror still makes a lot of there's money. Still and...
0: scar- they're, they're, I, you know, there's still horror films that scare me, but it's really weird stuff. Now. It's stuff like The Witch. You yeah. know, stuff like sort of like, you know, eldritch horror rather than like a slasher.
1: Or stuff stuff that like doesn't necessarily scare you but makes you want to vomit like hereditary.
0: Right, exactly. Something that like gets to the core of like something. Don't show your kids hereditary. Yeah, don't Just, don't, don't show. Don't. <laughs> in all, in all seriousness, don't show anyone hereditary. <laughs> That's probably for the best. <laughs> um. All right. So with that, let's. Uh, so we don't have any uh reader hot takes this week, but we did have a a reader question from SMB. And SMB asks, if you had to give up one forever, which would it be, movies or television?
1: Hmm. God, that's tough because I watch a lot of TV. I know your answer is very easy. Yeah,
0: my, yeah, my answer is television. I'd easily <laughs> give up television. I'm, I'll watch movies all day, but television, I'm like, I mean, I like television and there's shows that I like and I would certainly miss, you know, if I had to give up television in this hypothetical scenario, but I prefer movies.
1: Yeah uh i mean it's tough i would probably give up tv but i grew up watching a ton of tv and i still watch a lot of tv i think tv is very comforting and that it feels especially when i was younger like in the 90s it felt like this uh kind of never-ending family like the stories didn't feel like they had any like ending to them and so it felt very familiar and comforting to know like oh every thursday er is going to be there and every thursday friends is going to be there um Whereas movies are finite, but I do think that the emotional impact and thematic impact of movies is far more – far stronger because you're telling one contained story with a beginning, middle, and end. And when you get a filmmaker who knows how to push those buttons incredibly well, uh, like a Steven Spielberg or even someone like Jordan Peele or uh, Barry Jenkins um, – you know, you get, you get stories that stay with you forever, and you can't forget them. Whereas something like ER, which I would probably count as one of my favorite TV shows of all time, I, I, I can't remember exactly when it started going downhill. And, you know, some characters went on weird, you know, uh, tracks later on. Um, I mean... When we were growing up, TV was not Breaking Bad. It was not Mad Men, where it's like, oh, yeah, there's very much a definitive ending to this. So those are kind of the the shows that I relate to the most. But even Breaking Bad, like you're not going to sit there. And I think Breaking Bad is one of the greatest TV shows of all time. But I think the thematic uh, and emotional impact of like a masterpiece of a film um, has greater potential than something as good, as good as Breaking Bad is. I think all TV, in some sense, is plot-driven.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.